0: Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you heard and did not hear it. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for so it is pleased you well. Thank you, Lily. You guys can grab a seat. So, if you've been with us for a while, you know that over the last really like four months or so, we have traveled with Jesus through Luke's gospel, um, primarily through his journey through Samaria. Um, He he left Judea, a land um, where he grew up and his disciples grew up, a place um, where the stories of Scripture, um, the faith of Scripture was uh, alive. It was... uh, um, ever present, there was a, uh, a tangible longing to be a part of something that God was doing. Um, even if they missed Jesus, misunderstood Jesus, had their own twisted and misunderstood ways of what God, they expected God to do, the Messiah to do. Judea was a land historically that was looking for God to act. A people who, again, had a history of faith to some degree, um, but Jesus' ministry, while it began there, doesn't end there, right? It ends in Jerusalem, where we ended last week. It ends in the place where Jesus is on Gargotha, he's on the cross, he's crucified for our sins, for the sins of the world, and put into a tomb. Um, before three days later, he'll rise again, right? That's where the story ends. The story begins in Judea, the story ends in Jerusalem. But in the way that Luke puts together the story of Jesus' life is from chapter 9 to 19 half. He has Jesus walk through this land in between Judea in the north and Jerusalem in the south, this land of Samaria. A land that um, is very much, honestly, a land a lot like ours. A land that has a history of faith. They have a history that connected to the Jewish faith, but at the same time, their connection became really mingled and and muddled with all kinds of things. Um, Mingled and muddled with national identity, with identity with other uh, foreign uh, thoughts and ideas and philosophies and leadership. Uh, It became mingled and muddied with just um, a variety of kind of apathy towards faith. Um, But at the same time, in the midst of this kind of semi-quasi-religious place, in which faith was not unknown and the stories of Scripture not completely forgotten, um, Jesus leads his people, his disciples, uh, into this land, that, a land where every good Jew would have avoided. right? And we've talked a lot about this, so I won't belabor the point much longer, but like every other Jew on their way to Jerusalem would have avoided from Judea, would have avoided Samaria. But the way Luke tells the story is Jesus enters into it, and he doesn't make a beeline across it, It's not that wide. He could get there maybe just a couple days at the most, journey. But instead, he meanders all the way through. For almost two-thirds of his gospel story, he tells the story of Jesus in this land that's a lot like our land. And so over the last few months, we've asked the Scriptures and asked Jesus, asked the Spirit, what does this have to do with us? How can we look at the life of Jesus, the words that Jesus uses, the way he speaks to people, what he speaks to people, to shape how we know God, but also how we speak of God, especially in the land of Samaria. Because again, he took his disciples into this land, right? If you remember, just before he enters into Samaria in chapter 9, he calls his disciples. He sends out the, um, the 72, um, um, or he sends out the 12 first in chapter 9. They come back in Judea and they report how good everything's went. And then at the beginning of Samaria, he goes in, he sends them to Samaria. It doesn't go very well, but he just comes back and he sends the 72 again. And then he draws them back to himself, brings them back together. It went a little better this time, their second round in Samaria. So they're really excited about the ministry they're about to get to. And then he says the things that Lily just read for us. He speaks to his disciples who have just gone and been witnesses to the kingdom. Witnesses to the proclamation that God's arrived, the Messiah is here, that freedom's come, as we've talked about. In a land that's semi-religious, somewhat connected to the story, but not necessarily fully connected to it. They've gone out and done great things in their minds. And they come back and Jesus says to them, it's great, I'm glad you cast out demons, that's awesome. Remember the most important thing is that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then he declares his praise. This phrase, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you didn't reveal these things, these, these truths of the kingdom, this amazing reality in which the disciples were getting to be witnesses to, recipients of and witnesses to, to the wise and the learned, but revealed them rather to little children. To little children. And then he says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Blessed are the eyes that get to see what you see. Kings have longed for this day. Prophets have longed for this day. There has been a whole host of history that have long to see what these little children are getting to see. What do children see? Ever thought about it as adults? Probably not, right? Like we're... Yeah. Who, thinks, who wants to go back to being a kid? I mean, there's a phase that you get to in life where like your body's really tired and you don't sleep as well and like metabolism doesn't work the same. And that's when you wish you could be a kid again. Like when naps were regular or something like that or you could eat whatever you want and didn't have to think about it. But I mean, in all honesty, like when do we ever think about being a kid again? But what do children see? If you think about it, do you remember what you saw as a kid? Do you remember that... Um, do you remember ever thinking that what you saw was all that there was? Who, growing up, that's not what I thought. I'm not the most imaginative kid. Like, Deidre will, 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 will joke with me sometimes that I, that I lack all childish imagination. But, like, but, but even as a kid, I would look at, I'd go to my grandparents' house. Um, uh, both of my grandparents lived on Lake Texoma. One on the Oklahoma side, one on the Texas side, like almost directly across the lake from one another. It was like a 45-minute drive to each other's house. It was like a 20-minute like boat little deal across, but like we got a, a big drive. But so the summers, I would spend a lot of summers at their houses. And so either grandparent, it didn't, didn't matter which one we'd go to. What, what ended up happening in the grandparent's house because they didn't have, you know, cable TV and all that fun stuff is that we ended up outside. And usually I ended up outside even by myself a lot. A lot of times I'd go and just stay by myself with them. But I would go and then for hours I would run into the woods and the, there would be a whole world that would just appear Right, there would be all kinds of games to play, all kinds of battles to fight, all kinds of things to romp around, like never was I actually alone in the woods, never were the woods just the woods, never was it just the little acreage at my at my my uh um um Um, Meemaw's house where it was near the lake where it was just hey it was just this kind of abandoned like little forest in between her and and the lake never was it like that at Mal's house in Oklahoma where it was just kind of the edge of their property like never was that like that was always boundaries of another kingdom Those were all, you know, there was always something on the other side trying to get in to to what we were doing. And whether it was with a stick or um, there was a sword or a stick that was a gun or whether it was something like getting on the tractor and pretending that we're racing and running through things, whatever it was, there was a whole world that existed outside of my grandparents' front door. And that's the reality as kids. Like, I didn't have to, like, be trained to do that, right? Nobody came up to me and said, hey... Jeremy, you know what you need to do when you go outside. Pretend there's a whole other world out the out the front door. Look into the woods and and imagine yourself in a whole other world. It just came, right? Kids often see more than what is in front of them. They see the world as possible, all it could be, and all it should be, right? Children look out on a field and see endless adventures. They gaze upon a forest and see creatures hiding, some lurking to come and get them, others leaping out as new friends or 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 allies against the adversary. They look at a random assortment of goods, a a pile of of old um, um, gardening equipment, and and they, they see not trash, but the tools to make a new world. To, to put something together that wasn't there before. They look around the playground even. I've, as a parent, like it's been really fun for me to see and watch my kids go to the neighborhood playground or the playground at school. And where, as an adult, I go to the playground with my kids and I feel isolated, right? Like, like I kind of go to the playground, the kids run out, and you just kind of sit by yourself on the corner. Maybe you go talk to another person, but you got to kind of figure out like, can I talk to this person? Should I talk to this person? Is this weird? Is this awkward? Is it safe? Is all those other things, right? Go through your mind. The kids just run into the playground and they make friends. <laughs> they play. I mean, it, like, again, we didn't train our kids. We didn't say, hey, Cohen, and Lily, go out there and make new friends. When you get to the park, go introduce yourself, say hello, tell where you're from, give a little bit of background of yourself and what's going on in your life, all that kind of stuff. No, they just ran into the park and they ran and grabbed somebody else. And what they saw at the park was not random children, individuals, but they saw a community. They saw a group, um, a troop sometimes. Cohen would organize <laughs> whole bands of kids to do things that um, usually were pretty safe and good. Um, there's, maybe they're a forest guard or like Lily. Somehow Lily will always go to the, to the playground with, um, at school. And somehow there's a game of, of this weird kind of house that happens where there's moms and dads And there's kids, but there's also animals. Like they all have pets. Like I don't really know where all that comes from. Sometimes they're collecting rocks in the family. Um, But they go into a park, they see a group of people and they don't see individuals, but they see something more. Children look at themselves and they see the best possible. They imagine themselves always being brave, always competent, full of fidelity, faithfulness, and even sacrifice. They also instinctually see the battles. Instinctually, see the battles. I can't remember a single time with my grandparents where we were playing, whether I was by myself or with cousins or, or even siblings, where there wasn't opposition to whatever we were doing. Very rarely was it just a game, like that was different. But when we were imagining, when we were just going into our little world that we saw beyond the world that it was actually was, there was always some sort of foe, an enemy to fight, a difficulty to overcome. Sometimes it was what was ever happening in the moment. The wind that was blowing, the sun. There were always wounds to mend. You always lost an arm, you know? You remember you had to tie behind your back or a leg and kind of hop around, right? There were scars to brag about. I mean, I still have a few of them from my brother and I's sword fights. There's always conflicts to enter to, even in the household relationships. It's fun to watch the little girls play at the park, and they did play house, but there's always an argument that has to be worked through within the family. It's like a natural thing. The kids see the world, a world beyond themselves, but it doesn't deny that there's battles and enemies, things to fight, things to overcome. While it's true, as one author said, as children, we pretend to play, but it's always pretending. Yet our make-believe is made up of what we believe. Our make-believe is made up of what we believe. We love to make believe, and we make believe about what we love. Isn't that kind of incredible to think about? Especially in light of what Jesus says to his disciples, who have come as witnesses to his kingdom coming, who have been participants in bringing his kingdom to come in an area a lot like a context, a lot like our context. And what does he say in praise to the Father? That they're little children we have gotten to see something that the grown-up prophets and kings only longed for. That we make-believe about what we love. Now, some might say a child's vision is naive, right? I mean, I would probably, you know, as my wife can attest, would attend to, to, the, to leaning towards like, okay, that's naive, you don't get it. You don't understand how the world really works. Some might say that a child fails to consider the realities of this world The limits of economy, for instance, um, as a parent, you know that your kids never think about the limits of resources (laughs) and and what you have and what you don't. Rarely do children think about the dangers of the city. The betrayal of relations, that's sure to come. And the disappointments and difficulties of daily labor. That's what some would say. The children don't take into account that. That's why they can just run around and see what they see. What is revealed, they say, in a child's eye is mere fantasy then. And the world received by a child is only a fairy tale. But that's not what Jesus said. The chapter just before the last chapter in the Samaritan journeys, Jesus says this in Luke 18. Jesus called to him, them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, do not hinder the children from coming to me, for to such belong the kingdom of God. For to such belong the kingdom of God. Who does the kingdom of God belong to? Children. And yes, they're physical young people at the feet of Jesus at this point. But it's not, he's not saying that the kingdom is just for the little ones, for their future. But he says this, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom, receive it, like a child, shall never enter into it. Shall never experience it unless we receive it like a child. And listen, if we're, if we're honest, if we're truthful, the world Jesus declares to be the real world, the world Jesus declares to be the real world, a world where the poor are recipients of good news rather than the focus of the nightly news. Remember Luke chapter four? That's what we said. I think we've got the slide for it. Luke chapter 4. This is how Jesus started his ministry. This is what Jesus proclaims is reality. The real world. He says, where the poor are recipients of good news rather than the focus of the nightly news. A world in which those same poor, those needy and dependent, are liberated from the captivity of voices, internal and external. Sometimes whispering, other times shouting, ever morphing alternatives of purpose, success, identity, a good life. They're liberated from things that would bind them. The poor, the incapable, recover their sight, true sight, seeing clearly who and whose they are, no longer blindly marching machines in the systems of the world, or aimlessly wanderers in the endless possibilities. The poor, those scarce of resources are free to flourish. Their authentic God-related personhood no longer crushed by the systems and structures of both religion and society. A world in which, as Jesus says at the very end, the Lord's favor is the air of the atmosphere. Today, these scriptures have been fulfilled in your hearing. Such a world feels like fantasy, doesn't it? I mean, if we're honest, doesn't a world like that feel a bit fantastic? A reality only possible in a fairy tale, but it's not. It just requires the heart and eyes, the faith of ones who can see it, and who are willing to take what's before them, and in them to receive and enter. My children. Truth be told, don't we all envision more in life? I mean, honestly, isn't that what we're striving after? I don't think many of us are just trying to survive. There are days where it feels like all we can do is survive, but we wouldn't say that our life is committed to surviving, right? That we want more in life than just surviving. Don't we dream about more than surviving the day, more than fleeting taste of happy moments once in a while, here and there? Don't we, as we enter life each morning, envision thriving in our marriages? Don't we envision thriving in our vocations and our calling and our faith? Don't we imagine a world different and better for our children? Different and better for our community? Different and better for our souls? I mean, if we're honest, isn't that what gets us moving into the day? When we put down the distractions of the day, when we put down all that would take our minds, when our hearts are softened just before sleep, don't we envision a life full of good, true, and beautiful? A life in which we are a part of something. We are united in something. A cause, a congregation, a kingdom that is sure, meek, and relationally whole. Kind of sounds like the kingdom of Psalm 45 that Dylan and Allison read forth. Strap your sword to your side, O warrior. And your splendor and majesty. Kind of sounds like, like a young guy running into battle, right? like a guy who runs out of his grandparents' house with a stick into the woods. Strap on your sword, get out there, run into your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Don't we long for a world where we rush into it like that? Where we are, wake up into a cause that's more than us and we run headlong into it. Don't we long for a world that children see so naturally and are compelled to act without self-consciousness, without fear, or need for more than what is simply in front of them, what they have received already. Don't we actually want the world that is natural to children? Don't we want to actually live in the world like children? Jesus seems to think we should, and he seems to think that we get to, that that's what the expectation, that this was the father's, Good pleasure, it pleased him to show a world to children so that children might receive it and live in it. Ironically, we often dismiss children's visions as naive, as gullible, when the truth is, what is revealed to children is not denial of the certainties of life, but a view of reality that lacks cynicism, right, if we're honest, It's not that the children don't see the difficulties. They may not see all the difficulties. Of course they don't see all the difficulties. They're kids, right? But even though we see the difficulties, what often keeps us from living into something more is not the difficulties themselves, but our cynicism. Children see a world... And they view reality with, with a lack of cynicism. And they also have a will that has not resigned to the plight of mere survival or the inevitability of evil. Again, they don't deny that there's, all, there's always opposition in our, in our plane, But they're not resigned to the opposition. They're not resigned to the difficulty of battle. To the, to the difficulty of seeing the thing come to fruition that they long for. Inevitability of evil is just a part of of how we get to be a part of the world that's taking shape in our imagination. (laughs) What is revealed to children is a faith that is locked arm with hope. Confident there is more than what we see and that we can be a part of that something more here and now. Today, as Jesus said, It's the favor of the Lord. But listen, kingdom living, entering into the kingdom, entering into what we've received, experiencing God's kingdom as an everyday reality and a future hope, requires not only the soulful eyes of a child, but also the trusting or entrusting heart. A heart like the Son, who had a moment void of all naivety and crudely, Missing all cynicism and resignation, locked arm with hope and cried out as a child, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Not God, not mighty one, not, not Lord of heaven and earth, but Father, I commit my hand. Commit my spirit. My, your, <laughs> into your hands I commit my spirit. Here's the truth. The liberated life we long for, imagine, and can participate in is one not in the typical tales of heroine's grit and cunning nor a hero's valiance and victory over clearly cruel tyrants, hissing foes, personified calamities that we read about, but rather through the daily denials of self for the sake of another. This is where maybe it gets a little different for us, but why we still have to have a heart to trust. We have to have eyes that see like children and hearts that trust like a grown child that Jesus was. A child that, again, lacks lacks no, has no naivety, no crudility, no cynicism or resignation, but is locked arm with hope. Because we follow our liberator, our mighty warrior captain who's riding in valiantly, victoriously into and for the cause We rush into the battle over evil with him and into the world that our childlike eyes envision beyond, not with swords blazing, but by trusting self-sacrifice. Remember what Jesus said? If anyone could come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The way that we herald that is, call into existence the vision of more life, the world of, of a world beyond what we just see, but a world as it could be, a childlike world, is by abandonment. Not abandoning ourselves to the difficulties of life, the inevitabilities of evils, or even the current of this cultural moment. It's not being tossed to and fro or being pressed down and crushed, but rather an abandonment to God his provision and grace for our lives and for the sake of others. Remember we talked about last week, um, a famous uh, uh, French priest once said that when we abandon ourselves to God, there's nothing more than the call of that very moment. Like children, there's nothing more when we abandon ourselves to God than what is the world in front of us to take and to make. And the call into it. Like children, we give ourselves wholly, totally. We commit to the more than we can see in our vocations, our relationships, our community, our faith, in the vision of a true, meek, and righteous kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. A commitment that begins and is sustained and cultivated and blossoms as Jesus' words and actions have shown us through the Samaritan Travels as we deny self for another. Every story that we've told so far in Luke's gospel is about this, right? Denying our self-perceptions of God, denying our self-ambitions, our self-absorption, our self-fulfillment, our self-doubt, all not just for the sake of generally denying, but for the sake of another, whether that other be God or neighbor or friend or those in need or those who we just left out. Jesus does not lead us to think less of ourselves. That's not what the stories that we've been walking through are about. To deny who and whose we really are or for what we're made or what we long for. That's not what we mean when he says, deny yourself and take up your cross. Remember, Jesus' cross paid for our sins. Our crosses do not. That's an incredible truth. Jesus' cross paid for our sins. Our crosses do not. But our crosses allow us to participate in something more and denying ourselves and taking up our cross daily. We do not think less of ourselves, but rather we think of ourselves less. And you know what happens when we are not focused on ourselves, but we're focused on something more, a cause, the cause of truth, and meekness and righteousness. Someone else, our neighbor, our spouse, the needy, or even the enemy, What happens when we are not focused on ourselves, but on something or someone else? You know what happens? We see that there's so much more. There's so much more. That there is so much more than the wrongs of the person that we look at or what they can provide for us. That there is so much more of God active in the lives of those around us, in the community that we're a part of, in the society that we live in, than we'd ever give credit for if we were just looking in ourselves. When we think of ourselves less for the sake of another, whether the other, again, be God himself, a neighbor, a spouse, a child, a coworker, a friend, a stranger, the needy, even the enemy. Because that's who Jesus saw, Right? Our childlike eyes and hearts allow us to enter, experience the more world that is really there, a life of God's favor. Listen, the Apostle Paul says it better than I ever could. And he says it, he says that what, the, what we experience in the true, meek, and righteous cause, how we experience that is through having a mind of Christ, a childlike mind childlike eyes and childlike heart. He says it this way. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if we've gained anything from Christ's life, anything about how we should live life because of Jesus Christ, if there's any comfort from the love that we know from God through Jesus, a love that we now share, if there's any participation in the life of Jesus, in the kingdom that Jesus is making for us and inviting us to live, Proclaiming to be true. If there's any affection and sympathy for those who are joined to the cause, then complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love. Being in full and of one mind. Join together in this thing that Jesus has showed us. How? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility, esteem others as surpassing yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. If there's anything that we've learned from Jesus, any affection that we've gained from his life and his sacrifice, if there's any way in which we know how to participate in God's kingdom coming and will being done with others who are called to the same thing, then put others' interests above your own. Have this mind among yourselves, Paul continues, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God. In most translations, a thing to be grasped, but the little translation is a right or reality to seize by force. What Jesus rushed into in his, in his childlike faith was not a conquering that he knew was his to take by force. To overcome like, you know, I rode out at my grandparents' yard with a stick ready to take on the enemy of the, the kingdom that I was, I was heralding as a great knight or whatever, right? Jesus didn't see what was his as a right to seize by force, but instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. How did he fight for the thing that he imagined? He emptied himself, became a servant. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Because, as the psalmist said, his arrow shot true into the heart of the king's enemy. And because of that, Paul says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So can you see it? Can we see it? Listen, we've walked through Samaria, these lands with Jesus, but can we actually see what Jesus has invited us into? Can we see what Jesus has been proclaiming the entire time, making manifest the entire time, showing us how to participate the entire time? Can we see it? Can you see the more in the world through Jesus? Listen, Psalm 45 that we began our gathering together is meant to help us envision this rule and reign of a sacrificing, emptying, and victorious king. And so what we're gonna do for the last few moments of our time together, rather than listen to me talk about these things, rather than um, um, you know, get all kinds of ideas and kind of get lost in our battle plans as we put together our coats of armor for, um, to charge into Mordor or whatever you wanna call it, you know, like all those kind of fun, fun things, right? And rather than doing that, what we're going to do is we're going to end our time with doing what um, our uh, faith heritage has done for millennia. We're going to listen to the scriptures. And we're going to listen to God in the scriptures. We're going to do a practice that if you're part of our faith family, you know very well. We've done hundreds and hundreds of times. But it's a practice of, called Lectio Divina. It's an, it's an opportunity for us to listen to God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read through Psalm 45 and we're going to read through it multiple times. Each time we read through it, I'm going to give you some instructions. It's going to, going to help you enter into the psalm in a way that has ears open to what the Spirit might say. Allow you to, to rest in what God says and be one to respond to it. So I'll kind of lead us and guide us into it, but before we kind of go into it, we kind of just need to get a little quiet. kind of need to make sure that our, we're kind of in the right space. And so, you're welcome to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 45 if you want, if you want to, if it helps you stay focused to read it. Um, but my encouragement is just to just listen, just listen to the words. And so as we kind of come into it, we just kind of need to let ourselves again, be here as the psalmist would encourage us, right? Be here. The King adores you. He loves you. So just for a second, just as we did to start the gathering, just take a deep breath in. Breathe in, God with you, God for you. That he wants to speak to you. He wants to show you a world that only children can see. Breathe out. Those things that might distract you over the next few moments. And listen, every time as we're reading, if your mind starts to wonder, just do that again. Breathe in the presence of God and breathe out the distractions and then come back to what the words that are being said, okay? So there's four movements in the Lectio Divina. The first is Lectio. It's simply listen. So what I want you to do with your heads bowed, ideally, again, like, if if you're going to get lost, keep your eyes open, but just look at the ground. It just kind of helps you be focused. If you can't do that, which is okay, then open a Bible or open, um, ideally not your phone, um, but... But open something to read along with us. There's not, it's not gonna be on the screen because we don't wanna keep our eyes up there. But listen as, for this first time, just listen to the psalm. Again, in the context of all we've talked about, listen to the psalm as a psalmist begins. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. Already we know the psalmist is drawing us into something fantastical, right? You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Every word from your lips is sheer grace. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Strap your sword on your side, O warrior, in your splendor and majesty and your majesty ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand, your power and authority, that which you use to slay the enemy, teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. Foes lie down in the dust beaten. Your throne is God's throne ever and always. The scepter of your kingdom measures right living. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Do you see Jesus that way? The most handsome of the sons of men. A royal warrior strapped with a sword ready to charge for the cause. Whose way of power teaches awesome deeds. Whose arrows hit their mark. And whose throne is God's always as Paul said in Philippians, therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness, the psalmist declares, making you out as king from among your dear companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, string instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the bride, glittering with gold and jewelry. The psalmist moves us from Jesus on the battlefield to Jesus victorious. Crowned because of his actions, for the cause. And now we're in the Psalm 2, the bride. Now listen, the psalmist speaks to the bride, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people, forget where the battle started where you were when this war began. Put your home behind you. Be here. The king is wild for you. Since he is your Lord, adore him. Listen, wedding gifts pour in from Tyre. Rich guests shower you with presents. All glorious is the princess in her wedding dress. Lined with gold by the weavers in many colored robes, she is led to the king. Her wedding party follows a possession of joy and laughter, a possession of joy and laughter, a grand entrance to the king's palace. This is where you are. So set your mind now on sons. Not the past, but the future. Your sons will add to the faithful stories of your fathers. You will set your sons up as princes over all the earth. I'll cause your name to be remembered for generations. You'll be talked about through the talk of the town among every town in every nation for a long time, says the king. Just for a moment, just rest in those words. Let them kind of hit you. The psalmist stating from the beginning that these words are an invitation to see what's really happening in a way that is almost childlike. A warrior prince becoming a king, calling a bride, telling to forget the past of where we started and look to the future of where we're going now because of his victory and because of his affection. Now I'm going to read this psalm one more time without commentary. As I read this psalm, and before I read it, I'm just going to ask you to ask the Spirit. Ask the Spirit to give you ears to hear, to draw you into one of the words, a phrase, an idea, something in the psalm. Let your heart be open to it. Don't try to force it. Just listen. Listen for something that resonates with your heart. A word, a phrase, an idea in the psalm. So I'll read it one more time, and then I'll let, for just a minute or two, let there just be quiet and silence. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like a pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Every word from your lips is sheer grace. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. So strap your sword to your side, O warrior, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. Foes lie down in the dust, beaten. Your throne is God's throne ever and always. The scepter of your kingdom measures right living. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness, making you out as king from among your dear companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, string instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the bride, glittering with golden jewelry. So now listen, daughter, bride, And consider and incline your ear. Forget your people. Put your home behind you. Be here. The king is wild for you. Since he is your Lord, adore him. Wedding gifts pour in from Tyre. Rich guests shower you with presents. All glorious is the princess in her wedding dress, lined with gold by the weavers. In many colored robes, she is led to the king, followed by her virgin companions. A procession of joy and laughter, a grand entrance to the king's palace. Set your mind now on sons. Your sons will add to the faithful stories of your fathers. You'll set your sons up as princes all over the earth. And I'll cause your name to be remembered for generations. You'll be the talk of the town amongst every town and every nation for a long, long time. with the word or phrase or idea resonating on your heart. Let yourself be drawn into it. I'm going to read the scriptures one more time. This time, before, just ask, why, Lord? Why this word? Why this phrase? Why this idea? For what would you have me do? Or to know. For whom would you have me serve or tell? Why have you pricked my heart in this way? What are you trying to say? I'll read the scripture again, and then again we'll have a couple moments of silence. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Every word from your lips is sheer grace. Therefore God has blessed you forever. Strap your sword to your side, O warrior, in your splendor and your majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. Foes lie down in the dust beaten. Your throne is God's throne ever and always. The scepter of your kingdom measures right living You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness, marking you out as king from among your dear companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the bride glittering with golden jewelry. So now listen, daughter, and consider, and incline your ear. Forget your people, put your home behind you, be here. The king is wild for you, since he is your Lord, adore him. Wedding gifts pour in from Tyre, rich guests shower you with presents. All glorious is the princess in her wedding dress, lined with gold by the weavers, In many colored robes she is led to the king, followed by her virgin companions. A procession of joy and laughter, a grand entrance to the king's palace. So set your mind now on sons. Your sons will add to the faithful stories of your fathers. You will set your sons up as princes all over the earth. I'll cause your name to be remembered for generations. You'll be the talk of the town, amongst every town, in every nation, for a long, long time. having listened, having received, having asked, now we rest. I'm gonna read one last time the words of Psalm 45. If the conversation is still going, asking for what and for why, and for whom, keep it going with the Lord. But once we conclude, once the psalm concludes, rest. Rest in God with you. Rest in the reality that the psalm tries to paint for us, the picture of a childlike view of what is true. And as the Spirit leads you, respond. In gratitude. In a longing to believe. and confession of unbelief. You know their time is up when Chaz begins to play. So one last time, Psalm 45. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Every word from your lips is sheer grace. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Strap your sword to your side, O warrior, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. Foes lie down in the dust beaten. Your throne is God's throne ever and always. The scepter of your kingdom measures right living. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness, marking you out as king from among your dear companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, string instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the bride, glittering with golden jewelry. Now listen, daughter, and consider, and incline your ear. Forget your people. Put your home behind you. Be here. The king is wild for you, since he is your lord, adore him. Wedding gifts pour in from Tyree. Rich guests shower you with presents. All glorious is the princess in her wedding dress, lined with gold by the weavers. In many colored robes, she is led to the king, followed by her virgin companions. A procession of joy and laughter, a grand entrance into the king's palace. Set your mind now on sons. Your sons will, be, will add to your, the faithful stories of their fathers. You'll set your sons up as princes all over the earth. I'll cause your name to be remembered for generations. You'll be the talk of town amongst every town in every nation for a long, long